0: that I want is I want the gospel and the mission that we've been called on to be really good news again that cause us to perk up and not another airline safety announcement. You guys know what I mean? You guys have all flown. How many of you even take your heads off where they have your headphones off when they tell you how to protect yourself in case that thing crashes? Nobody, right? those poor people, their job, I, I fly Southwest primarily these days, and at least they're allowed to make jokes out of the whole thing, but they they know nobody's listening. Uh, everybody has noise, can't, their, their goal in life is not to hear the people on the airplane giving the directions on how to save your life should something happen. Um, and so, uh, I think what happens sometimes with the gospel, though, is that it's really good news, it's really important news, but we've heard it so many times and we get the general gist of it uh, that we can sometimes allow our minds to go into that same mode where we see the mouth of the woman or the man preaching, but we uh, are kind of tuned out thinking about something else because, I mean, after all, I know it ends with Jesus and then we're gonna take communion. But what I love to see, and what I told Matthew, I love for the gospel to become that good news for us again that reorients, that causes joy, that compels us into shared life together for the sake of others, and not just that character on Charlie Brown that does the wah, 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 wah. Oh yeah, communion, and now I'm on with my week. And so the space that we have is a few minutes to dive again into the Gospel of Luke. Over uh, the scattered month, we had one of the Sundays where we looked at Peter and his story of coming to follow Jesus tonight. We're going to look at Levi and his story. But before we do that, here's what I want you to just think about for a second. It's a true or false because school's back in session and uh, teachers love true or false. Uh, I don't need you to do this out loud, and I'm not going to have you raise your hand. Uh, but the simple question: true or false? Following Jesus is the best possible way to live. Now, because you're in here on a Sunday, you you feel like you know the answer is to say true, right? Like. I mean, even on the other side as the kids are being taught, they learn that probably about 75% of the answers are Jesus when they're asked a question. And so when I say, is following Jesus the best possible way to live, you can be like, I know the answer's yes. I invite you to slow down, take a deep breath and ask yourself, do, do I really believe that? Or was there a time when I believed it more? Like, do I really believe that the best possible way to live is to follow Jesus, orient everything around his kingdom agenda and hold nothing back in my pursuit of knowing him and being known by him? Or would you in honesty reflect and say, man, there's a, there's a time when I would say that was more true. It becomes less of a true and false and more like one of those ACT or SAT questions that you have to answer on the sliding scale, which is more true? And I always did terrible at those ones. That's why we're just doing true and false. My invitation for us tonight is to come in again with fresh ears and a fresh heart and hear the incredible good news of Jesus and the life reorienting mission that we're invited on. Jesus tells a story in Matthew 13. He says this, he says, the kingdom of God is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Uh, Jesus is telling a story about a guy who's walking along in a field. Don't know why he's there, but it's not his field. Uh, Apparently, the point of the story wasn't that he was trespassing. But as he did, he found this treasure, Uh, and I like to picture it in a treasure box because that's where all treasure should be held, right? Like in my brain, it's pirate treasure. I have no idea what it is. Maybe it was NFTs or something that's really boring. In my brain, it was a box of treasure that dude's walking along in the field and says, oh my goodness, look at this. And in an instant, or maybe over the long walk home, he's thinking through how in the world do I get this field? I looked and I saw something that is worth more than everything I have, and if it's still there when I get back, man, that is worth going all in on. It says, for joy, he goes home and sells everything he had, right? He goes on, puts that sign in his front yard, he gets on offer up and just starts listing absolutely everything. The house offer comes in, he takes it, he gets all this stuff together. Imagine trying to pitch this idea to his wife, I promise you in a field somewhere, there's a treasure. All right, bro. And then he goes back and he buys that field. And for joy, he gets it. And it's as life giving as he thought it would be. Jesus says, that's what hearing the good news of the kingdom and following Jesus is like. That's what it's like. It's like finding a treasure in a field that's worth more than everything you can have. It's worth selling everything for out of joy. You get it back. You love it. You get it. Like it's, it's worth it. it. It brings on delight and happiness. But I think for some of us, as we were invited to follow Jesus, we got a little bit different sales pitch. Um, some of us were told that following Jesus was gonna be a lot more like going to a movie. Uh, The AC will be cranking, you'll get a nice big screen, get a comfy chair in the back, send your kids somewhere else, you'll see them in an hour and a half. And that's what it is, to follow Jesus. Uh, Some of us were told that, hey, following Jesus is a lot more like just throw your hand up, uh, and while everybody else has their eyes closed, uh, throw your hand up, and maybe you'll get a card, check yes or no, like the old country song for those of you that were raised in the late 90s, early 2000s. You check, yes, I want to follow Jesus, and then you're good. Try not to muck up life too long along the way, right? Like, you could be all right. Um, Some of us got a version of following Jesus that was saying, hey, believe the right things. And when you believe the right things, then you need to behave the right way. And if you behave enough the right way, then life will go a lot smoother for you. Have fun following Jesus. But when Jesus himself gets a moment to share what life in his kingdom is like, he tells people, it's like being really thirsty And then you get a drink and you're never thirsty again. It's like being really, really hungry and craving food and nourishment and you're starving. And then you get to taste of me and my kingdom and you never hunger again. It's like being invited to the wedding or the party of the century and getting to celebrate. That's what the kingdom's like. It's like finding a treasure in a field. And in that moment, it captures your imagination and compels you to go all in because you see the value of what's before you instead of everything else you've been searching for. And Jesus says, that's what life in my kingdom is like. And today we're gonna come to the story of a man Who gets presented with that same story in real time and the story of levi is the story of a lot of us so would you pray with me and then we'll read from luke 5. Uh, jesus thank you for gathering us together thank you for your love poured out thank you for the goodness of the gospel thank you that we don't have to conjure up Uh, belief in you, but you give faith, you give joy, you give hope, you produce these in our hearts. And so I ask for my sisters and my brothers that you would do that work. Produce in us joy. Help us to see again with fresh eyes your loving, compassionate, generous call into shared life with you. And would we be able to enjoy that a little bit more today than we did even walking in? Uh, We love you, Jesus speak now to us amen amen so this is the story of jesus calling levi who's one of his disciples Um, and the story goes like this Uh, after this jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of levi sitting at his tax booth follow me jesus said to him and levi got up left everything and followed him Then Levi had a great banquet for Jesus at his house and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Uh, Jesus answered them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Uh, In this, we're gonna see three different Areas where when we say yes to Jesus, we enter into new dimensions of life. And that's not like creepy Star Wars talk. That's saying when we follow Jesus, uh, there's other things that we're invited into alongside that and they necessarily come. Uh, When I was invited to go to Australia, uh, they said, hey, will you come over here and be a part of what's going on here for a few weeks? Uh, When I said yes to that, there were a few other things that went with that. Uh, There were some things I was going to have to say no to, uh, like being present with my wife and the five kids that are at our house. And so uh, I had to talk to her and say, hey, if I say yes to this, it's saying no to being here. Are you okay with that? Uh, When I said yes to going to Australia, I also said yes to flying on a plane. Um, Because for those of us that are geographically challenged, you cannot drive to Australia. You get on the plane and fly for a whole... 14 hours. And so I said yes to a really long flight. Uh, I even said yes to driving on the other side of the road, uh, which I safely made it back to. Uh, All those were very... specific uh, dimensions of what it meant to say yes to go to Australia. Um, In a similar way, when we say yes to following Jesus, it's not a bait and switch where, aha, now I got you, but there's these other things that come with it as well. It's not simply checking yes or no, but an invitation to a full life alongside him. When we say yes to following Jesus, the first thing I want us to see is that we say yes to following him as the redeeming and restoring King. Uh, The verses that I read said after this is how they started. So those of you who are are students or love stories would be asking like, hold on a second, sounds like we jumped in the middle of something. Uh, What happened before this? Uh, Before this in the Gospel of Luke, he's told some stories of Jesus starting off his ministry saying, good news, the kingdom of God is here. God's moment in time is here to release the oppressed, to set the blind, to allow them to see, to let the prisoners go free. He was healing people who were oppressed by demons. He was doing work that showed off that the kingdom of God is a kingdom of life, not a kingdom of death. And people leaned in and saw that. Uh, He had already called Peter to himself, who was a fisherman who left his nets to follow after Jesus. And then he had just forgiven a paralyzed man, which is a wild story in and of itself, stripping away not only the shame that would have come with him being paralyzed and unable to work, but his body that was crippled being set right in a picture of the kingdom, that in God's kingdom, bodies are made right. Shame is lifted, guilt is removed. The guilt of sin is removed God wholly heals whole people to be a part of his whole mission. And it's a story that he's telling. It says after all that, he comes to this dude named Levi who's hanging out in his tax booth. For those of you that might have watched the Chosen series, uh, have anybody watched that? They made Matthew a little bit neurotic. There's nowhere in the Bible that says he's that much of like a clean freak, OCD. Like there's nowhere in the Bible that he says he's that neurotic that has to be doing all those things. But it does say he's a tax collector, so they nailed that part. Um, And it says that what he would do is his job was he had a booth set up right on the side of the lake. So when John came in from fishing all night, which is when he fished, right? And he got all the fish, he brings them in. He's got to show up at port. And when he shows up at port, there's a guy standing there waiting to tax him to take some of what he just worked all night for to give to the Romans. And in the process, he would take a little cut, a little something, something for himself and put that away for himself. And then that was his job. So somewhere along the way, Levi had said, "That's a Jewish name, he had said, I don't really care if my family likes me. I don't really care if my friends like me. Um, What I want is safety and stability and security and comfort. And that can come by aligning myself with Caesar instead of with the God of Israel and the people of Israel. And I'm kind of okay with that because I would rather have this sort of life than be living among my people. And he was okay with that. Uh, he would have been a middle-class or upper-middle-class person. He, he made some coin. He wasn't poor. Uh, along the way, Jesus heals a lot of poor people, doesn't he? He seems to have a heart, especially for the marginalized people, those who are pressed out. But in this story, he comes after a man who is upper-middle-class at least, who isn't one who's being an oppressed but is an oppressor. And he pursues him with the good news, saying the kingdom is for the marginalized, yes but it's also for anyone who wants to turn to me, who will bow their knee, who will walk away from their own kingdom and seeking security and safety outside of my good plan, I welcome them in too. It says that Levi's response is to say, all right, I'm in. Right, he says Jesus looks at him, locks eyes, says, follow me. Levi says, yes, and leaves everything. In that moment, I have to think he did a little bit of that uh, cost-benefit analysis that the guy did in the field where he's thinking through, all right, like here's what I've staked everything in my life on and here's how it's working out for me so far. I've heard Jesus' good news and he offers life and hope and security in himself. Uh, He says that God's people are called to be whole and redeemed and restored He's got a little group of followers that are following around behind him. Lots of people are pressing in to see what the next miracle he's going to do is. But in that moment, when Jesus calls his name, he responds with a yes, you are king. Yes, you are Lord. Yes, you are worth following, not just in my heart, but with my actual body. And he leaves everything to follow Jesus. Literally, the imagery is that he got up out of his booth and just left it there and walked off. Uh, You can be pretty sure he was fired that day. Um, That's not the title in your Bible, but you can be pretty certain that's what took place when he left. But he says, right, like that imagery, that beauty of responding to Jesus' call to say, yes, I will seek you in your kingdom. I will follow you. Every single life of a disciple of Jesus starts by saying yes to Jesus. The story keeps going and we'll see a second part of this is that he says, follow me as a part of my community. Follow me as part of my community. Immediately after he says yes and starts following, then Levi had a great banquet for Jesus at his house and a large crowd of the uh, collectors, which are the tax collectors and others were eating with him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, said, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. Um, When we say yes to Jesus, we also say yes to his community. Jesus always saves people and brings them into a community. He always takes individuals and brings them into a family. He always takes those who are isolated, maybe on the margins, or those who had a lot of friends but still felt really alone, and connects them with others in this wild band of disciples who the only thing that they have in common is that they all really need Jesus. Like there's a lot of diversity in the kingdom of God. There's a lot of diversity in the family of God. But the thing that Jesus says that is on the place card of every single person who sits at the table of Jesus is I am needy. So do you want to sit at the table? Take a seat. It says I am needy on your place card and you're welcome there because Jesus is there to provide for you. And Jesus says those who have a hard time with that, the Pharisees, the self righteous That's something that they can't swallow. They choke on that at that meal and can't find themselves with Jesus because their own self-righteousness, their own dependence on themselves keeps them far from him. The way of following Jesus is a way where we declare our not only dependence on him as king, but our need for him as a savior and look to feast at his table alongside of him. This gets tricky, though, because if you've spent any time in a church, you know that churches uh, are made up of messed up people, just like every other arena of the world. Uh, There's not one single church that you step in and you're like, oh, this one's the perfect one. Uh, This one has it all together. This one is going to be made up of all the people who finally make me feel like I am who I was always called to be. And catch this, Jesus does use other people in our stories to be a part of what he's doing to make us new. Uh, He uses not only, though, the beauty in other people, but also the brokenness. Uh, When he calls together a community, he does it in a way where we're equally dependent on him and our responsiveness and growing in that, our response to his grace is part of what he uses to highlight that as other people look in to say, wow, what kind of people are welcome in this space? Uh, People who know they need Jesus. I would pray that would be true of us. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a pastor theologian, um, and he was his part of his story is that as Nazi Germany was coming in, he called out a group of people to be a subversive community to say, "Hey, we need to live as the church in a different way because there is an empire that's coming along looking to sweep up everyone, and that's not the way of Jesus. It's not the way of the kingdom." And so he wrote a few books. One called "Cost of Discipleship," uh, which people get really freaked out by because. Well, it sounds like there's a big bill at the end of the book, right? It's like the cost of discipleship and it's like, lay down your life and die and all that's true. Uh, But this, he's got another book that's called Life Together, which is really short and it's really solid. It's his reflections on life together as a church. Uh, But he says this, he says, because God has bound us together in one body with other Christians in Christ Jesus, long before we enter into common life with them, we enter that common life, not as demanders, but as thankful recipients. Uh, There is a decided difference when we start following Jesus and we see ourselves not as those who show up and start demanding things, but those who are recipients of grace alongside others who have received grace. That posture switch will absolutely change the way that we engage with communal life. And life in Jesus' community is always a life based in grace. And the last dimension of following Jesus. We follow and we bow our knee to him as king. We follow and become part of his community that's deeply dependent on grace. But as we follow him, we're also a part of his mission, his purpose. As people, we're always driven. We want to know that our life matters, right? That's one of those core things to us. We want to know that we're not just on our own, but a part of something that is greater than ourselves. And I think the reason that's wired in us is because we were always meant to be a part of what God was doing in this world. And that's so much greater than all of us. So as Levi, our boy Levi in the story, says yes to following Jesus, Jesus literally changes his name. So Levi is the same guy that we know as Matthew. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the Gospels in the Bible. That first one is who Levi is. Uh, He changes his name to Matthew, which means, does anybody know what Matthew means? Do you know? I don't know, he does. Look, he's on the, he's like, he was already doing his next set list in his brain playing through it. No, Matthew literally means gift of Messiah. Gift of Messiah. So this guy who used to be a burden to society, who none of his friends like, who abused others in the pursuit of his own power, that same guy has a name shift that now means blessing or gift of God. Why is that significant? Uh, It's not just gift to God, as in Matthew now lives his life to the glory of God and his life is a gift to God, but it's gift of God. Uh, Namely, he's now given as a blessing to others. The entire orientation of his life has shifted from what can I get and protect and preserve and build up for me and my kingdom as Levi to how am I gonna be a conduit of the blessing of God to everyone I meet? Every day he'd wake up and people would call his name. It'd be a reminder that his identity had shifted, that he was no longer sent out to build up his own kingdom, but he was commissioned to be a part of Jesus's kingdom. And the rest of the book of Luke wraps up with us looking at Jesus calling together this group of disciples who he'd send out to be the church in that first generation of the church. Matthew being a key part of that as he lived and walked and loved alongside Jesus. Why do I bring all that up? Some of you are saying like, yeah, I I know that. Like, I've heard all that before. Uh, That sounds vaguely familiar to what's on the board. Like, we are formed by God. Uh, We follow Jesus. Uh, It's together, and it's for the sake of others. Like, you could have just showed us the sign. Uh, I want to remind us, because we run the risk every single day of being drawn back into an old story where we no longer are following Jesus, but wanna live for our own kingdom because it seems like we need to, and that's the message we hear. And we don't wanna do it together because that gets sticky, that gets messy, and on my own, I don't tick me off as much as other people do, and so I'd rather spend more time with me than with others. And the mission of Jesus does cost everything, and sometimes I just wanna do it my way and build my own stuff up and kinda be about the purposes of Kevin. When we were in Hawaii, um, we were out there, and I loved it. It was a lot of fun because we got to hang out with the kids in warm water, uh, which makes them want to play in it a lot more. So if you go to California, that water's not really warm. Um, It gets warm-ish sometimes, uh, but it's just cold a lot, right? Like, everybody's wearing wetsuits. Nobody really likes to spend a ton of time in it unless they're real small and don't realize that their bodies are telling them it's freezing um, or other people trying to take ice baths. But in Hawaii, the water's warm, so you get to play a lot and Caden picked up uh, bodyboarding, Um, and so that was something him and his cousins would do. They'd go and bodyboard, and we went to one beach after our Sunday gathering with the church, and we went to hang out there, and we walked down, and the beach was uh, just full of other people just like us who all just wanted to go to the beach, Um, and so there was very little spot to hang out and find, a little spot for whatever there was, 12 of us uh, that wanted to find a place to hang out, so we found a place Plop down, my brother's lamenting. He lives in Hawaii. He's like, Oh man, I remember the days of COVID when no tourists were here and we could literally have this whole beach to ourselves. And I was like, Yeah, dang tourists, like send them all home. Um, But we were hanging out there with everybody else. And the the two pathways of water that were coming in converged on this one area uh, where there was tide coming in this way and the waves would come in this way. It'd wrap around the sand and then it'd suck back out the other side. Um, So what's called a riptide, right? Where it will suck you back out the other side every single time. And it forms this little pathway of water uh, that would just come in and seem really nice. And then it hit the other side and just suck people out. Um, That's also where Caden was having the most fun. Um, And so we looked at it. And so his parents were safe enough that we realized it's not dragging anybody really far out, just a little far out. Um, And he'd be okay with that. But when we were talking through it, I said, hey, bud. Um, look at the ocean. Do you see where the water looks really rough and it looks different than everywhere else? Calm, calm, raging little rip current. It's like, yeah, I see it. I was like, all right, here's what I need you to do. I need you that every like, few seconds after you get caught in a wave to look up and make sure you're still alongside us, like you can look directly at us and if you're over one way, come out of the water and I'm gonna need you to come back and return to where you started to be able to go and enjoy that again because the current is sucking you that direction. If you're not paying attention, you're gonna end up all the way down the beach or in the rocks and it's not gonna be good because the current's not stopping, it's gonna go the entire time. And so him and his cousins had a blast, nobody got sucked out to sea, he's back with us, so the story ends well but for us to recognize and realize the currents of our culture are constantly wanting to suck us out somewhere else. That even if at one moment we feel like we're doing well and we're having fun and this is going great, that doesn't mean that those currents are no longer trying to drag us back to an old story or an old way of being or an old way of knowing what it is to be human back to old sin or old slavery, back to old patterns of life. And so like Caden was told, I need you to constantly look up and if you find yourself drifting, just get out of the water and there's a path back. Return and then go back and enjoy living. Like you don't have to stop enjoying it. Go back, but I need you to be paying attention to know that when the current's sucking you out there, there's gonna be times where you have to return. And that doesn't mean that you're a bad swimmer or a bad boogie boarder or a bad human. There's just gonna be times where you've drifted and need to make your way back to start over again. And so as we start off August, the same invitation for us exists to take a little bit of an account of our lives together as a church. If you're new here, you're welcome to do this as well. Uh, Maybe it's a first time saying, well, I've never actually turned to Jesus, so to return to Jesus doesn't make much sense to me now. You are welcome to turn to Jesus here today and we will walk with you. But for a lot of people in the room that I know, uh, you've made those decisions to say yes to Jesus, to be a part of his community, to be sent on his mission. But as with any given moment, I encourage you just look up and see, have you drifted from same some of those same callings in your life not maliciously not intentionally but does what Jesus says as he is Lord and King and Master really have final say in our lives or has it become a list of suggestions that maybe we may or may not want to follow when we're called to forgive or love our enemies or be generous or lay down our lives for the sake of others? Is it still like, man, if Jesus says that, that is the best possible way to live, and I'm in. Or has there been some drift from that fervency? Do we still get our identity from Jesus? Or have we been drifting to try earning our identity in some other way? Uh, do we still find our comfort and our assurance and our satisfaction in him or over the past few months or even years has something else begun to take that role of primary in our life Uh, jesus invites us the way back is to put your head up lock eyes with him and return once again to that call of him saying follow me when it comes to community the same things can be true Have we said, yes, Jesus, I'll follow you? I know that the best possible way to do that is alongside other people that love you as well. A worshiping community is always the primary environment for change and growth in the life of a believer. But it's also difficult and hard and people can hurt you. And I'm very well aware of that. I'm not saying ignore that, but find a healthy community to be a part of and grow alongside of. None of us, are the exception to the rule that we say, actually, I've got this on my own. I can do what I want. Church, I don't need you anymore. You cannot be the body of Christ without other members. I know it's not always easy, but again, Jesus invites us into that way of life for our good and his glory. Do we still trust him in that? Is there forgiveness that we need to ask for because we've been the abuser or the offender towards others? Or is there forgiveness that we need to extend because others have wronged us and we've been using that to keep ourselves at distance? Uh, Missio, the, the thing that we have in common is that we're all deeply flawed and deeply dependent on Jesus as our Savior. Let's not be quick to cancel one another. But instead, in the way of Jesus, offer mercy and grace and healthy relationships as we walk towards that with one another. And then lastly, just that returning in joy to the mission or the purpose that we've been invited in alongside Jesus. Uh, remembering that we don't go on behalf of Jesus and go without him, but we go with Jesus to everywhere we live, work, and play. And I know that that missional maybe impulse is a lot easier to say before you've been living it out for a certain amount of time. Um, for those of you that have followed Jesus, a lot of you I know that are following Jesus chose to follow him before you were 30. Uh, in this room, that's a lot of your stories. It's not everyone's story, but it's a lot of your story. And uh, it's it's a lot easier to tell Jesus, yes, I'll, I'll give you a good chunk of my money when you're poor because everybody's poor, nobody has money. Uh, it's a lot easier to tell Jesus, yeah, Jesus, I'll give you a whole day of a week. Yeah, I will worship, and I will set my calendar around that like all the people have for thousands of years to come and rest and worship and be with your church um, until sports pop into it. Uh, it's a lot easier to do uh, until the football game starts up, you know, and they start playing them at 4 o'clock, and we meet at 4.30. I don't know who's in charge of that calendar. Uh, It's a lot easier to say, what does shared housing look like in a communal witness uh, when nobody has enough money for their own rent anyway, and so you do that sort of thing. Uh, It's a lot easier to say, I will go into a disadvantaged neighborhood and set up my place there until your kids have to go to school in those schools, and you realize that, oh, this is systemic. It's not just, it's a little bit cheaper to live here. There's a lot of things about initially following Jesus that we don't realize they will get more complicated as we continue to live out the mission of God in your teens to your 20s, to your 30s, to your 40s, continuing on. But that doesn't make it any less whole or any less true that following Jesus and his purpose to redeem and restore is the best possible way to live. To partner with him in what he's doing in this world is the best possible way way for us to be a church but also to be human and so I wonder if there's been uh, maybe we came in with a little bit of a hero complex to different arenas uh, whether it was our neighborhoods whether it was our schools whether it was our sports teams whether it was a whole city and said oh we got this like Jesus is real the kingdom is real the gospel is true everybody's going to respond And then we showed up and spent one, two, three, four, five years in that space. And you're like, huh, this is different than I thought it was going to be. I'd invite you to ask the question again, but is following Jesus as part of his community on his mission still the best possible way to live? And if there's been some drift from that, don't hear guilt and condemnation. Hear loving invitation from Jesus, hey, put your head up and return back to me. And we'll go at this thing again. That's the beauty of following Jesus. He doesn't kick you out when you fail or you fall short, but he comes alongside you and bids you, come, follow me again. Would you guys pray with me? Jesus, thank you that you are a good king. Uh, You are a good savior that your gospel is actually good news, that you are redeeming and restoring everything back to yourself. And so I pray for myself and my friends, uh, for the parts of our life where maybe uh, this used to be more true than it is today. Uh, Would you gently show us uh, those patterns of life where we've maybe drifted? Uh, Show us where we've set aside what you've called us into for something else that we thought would satisfy more. Uh, Show us where we've pushed away other people because uh, we desire our own independence and autonomy. Uh, Show us where we've moved away from what you called us into and the purpose you have us in the places we're at to be your loving presence, a gift of Messiah in those places. And would you once again awaken our hearts that the kingdom is here. It is like a great treasure that's worth giving everything for because we get so much more than we ever give. Jesus, we love you. And we're grateful for you in this space. Amen.